0: Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoro Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Ryan Bucentini, who is the owner of OPEX North San Diego, and we cover a lot of information in this podcast about how to transfer from being a CrossFit affiliate into an OPEX gym. So without further ado, Ryan Bucentini.
1: I kind of bounced around between Massachusetts and New York. Uh joined the military when I was 18, and that kind of sent me all over the world with the Coast Guard. Uh spent 14 years doing that. That ended me in San Diego. Um, I ended my my career there and decided to make the jump into fitness from there.
0: Cool. And then how did you, uh, where did you start out in the fitness world?
1: Uh, I actually, I started out kind of in the, in, I guess, the military side, you know, just training for the daily rigor of a military career. And kind of okay. on the side, I dabbled a little bit in triathlon, like Olympic distance triathlon. Okay. Uh, spent, you know, four or five years doing that and then found CrossFit, and tried kind of doing both of those, which eventually kind of I stepped away from, you know, endurance training and kind of committed full-time into CrossFit probably like 2008, and I've been doing that ever since.
0: Okay, so you've been in it for a long time that's so I'm a couple of years behind you, and kind of the same story. So I started uh martial arts training uh back in uh, 2005 um then did um my first cage fight in two thousand eight and then still kinda of was in the training and then went into uh jujitsu full time because you know getting punched in the face sucks real bad and then uh, <laughs> and then eventually started CrossFit to supplement my jiu jitsu training and then just kinda of went into uh CrossFit from there and that was in uh two thousand ten. So hey. Yeah, so when – were you competitive in the CrossFit space then?
1: No, you know, my – I never really – I mean, I've dabbled in, like, local local competitions and things like that. Um, I've never really had a huge urge to pursue the competitive side of it. It was never really about that for me. Like, it was more of just kind of like a readiness thing where – I knew what I wanted to do within my military career, and that's kind of how I, like, developed my training around that. So, like, I like to say CrossFit can be, like, whatever you really want it to be. Like, that's what's unique about it. So I would say my training was more tailored towards, like, military athletes.
0: Okay. And uh, so were you a trainer at a gym, or did you own your own, or how how did you get started out in there?
1: there? Um, well, so when I got started with CrossFit, uh pretty much I was I would say I was quasi quasi forced into it a little bit. Uh my command was like, Look, this is what we're doing. Everybody at the unit's doing it, no questions asked. Um and I was like, Man, I don't know about this and then as I got started doing it and kinda of reaping the benefits, I was like, This is badass. They ended up sending me to my level one and I started training the unit from there. So I spent a few years uh, training people coming in and out of the unit. Uh, I transitioned to an overseas unit, and I started a military affiliate on the Navy base over there.
0: Okay, cool. And then, uh, like you said, you ended up in San Diego, right? So which, which gym were you affiliated with in San Diego?
1: Uh I mean really I wasn't really affiliated with any of them. Um Okay. I got stationed out here and one of my good buddies was out here and he linked me up with one of the just kind of not a random cross the trainer but he was kind of training under him so I was like sweet I'll jump on this train that sounds awesome. Um he was a smart dude. Um I kind of mentored under him for a few years and we were like well We're going to get started. We want to do this kind of on our own, so we started our own little garage setup, which evolved into knuckle-down athletics a few years later.
0: Okay. And then, so, let's talk about your transition from, like, CrossFit to, like, OPEX training. What um, what started kind of piquing your interest in OPEX training and what ultimately made you take that transition um
1: all right well you know i spent like four or five years in the in the world of just prospect, so you know high intensity constantly varied that was my mo and i was all about it yeah. um as you know things started rolling we were a few years into affiliation. Um, I really just took a hard look at what our demographic ultimately was and kind of the service I wanted to provide people. And, you know, doing the group thing for uh, a good chunk of time, you know, we saw some good results. But at the end of the day, I just – we were doing things that I just didn't feel like these people needed to do. Right. so I just started kind of poking around and I really started doing some research of what trainers I respected, kind of what their journey had looked like and it all kind of came back to Opex and James Fitzgerald.
0: Yeah. And so, so that's that's kinda of where I'm at is um you know, I started um my own massage business uh three and a half years ago. And, um, right about then is when my wife started, um, being coached by Michael Ban, who's, you know, the, one of the head coaches over at OPEC.
1: Also my coach.
0: Right. And so, um, I started, you know, every time we would go down for an in-person consult, I would be like, Hey, what are you doing? What are you learning? Where are you going? And they started putting me towards all these education courses and almost to the point where, My wife was like, when we go down there, you gotta leave because we can't, we're here to talk about me, not about you. And I'm like, okay, got it. So, but then, you know, once you take one course, then it starts kind of evolving into all these different other courses. And so over that period of time, I started, and through the education that I've gotten, I started taking a harder look at CrossFit and being like, okay, what are we doing here? So, I think it's a really good fit for some people, and I think for other people, not so much and I think that the there's some flaws in their design and the way that they teach coaches to coach. Does that make sense? Yeah,
1: totally hundred percent
0: so you know the biggest problem I have with them is the squat, so they're squat is your hip crease is below parallel and that's how you teach it and that's how everybody does it no matter what and I don't agree with that I think that the hip crease below parallel is a competition standard and I think that there's a majority of the people that are coming to the CrossFit space that can't squat below parallel like physically can't do it because they haven't been squatting or moving their body relatively at all so then it becomes like are they squatting yes great, doesn't matter what the depth is, you know, so that's like one of the things that I've seen just kind of on my end, and uh what are your, what were you kind of seeing, and is that kind of a, are we kind of on the same page there, or?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that kind of is a good segue into just talking about progressions, and where people are at, and really being subjective, Um, When when you look at a person and be like, okay, we want this person to squat, what sort of squat do they need to do? What sort of variations can we give them to help keep them safe that's still going to progress them in a positive direction and we're not just checking a box saying that, okay, this person is squatting, we're good. You know, are they meeting certain criteria of prerequisite strength of all right. you know, movement variables. Do they have this, this range of motion Do they have, you know, these imbalances, things like that. And so, I mean, like I'm in complete agreement that, you know, everybody should squat and like, I, well, I'm in complete agreement that like people should definitely squat. Um, and that, you know, CrossFit is flawed in that. I don't think it's flawed that they're squatting. I just think it's, Squat and how the coach is assessing the person.
0: Correct. Yeah. And then, um, oh, man, I just lost my train of thought. So we were talking about squats. So then, you know, it goes into, like, overhead squatting because there's been, you know, there's been some uh, classes that I've coached where new athletes come in, and I was, you know, um, this was before I was had the education that I had now, and then we're just trying to force people. Into this overhead squat position and the way Kelly Surette talks about it is the ultimate test of strength and mobility is the overhead squat. So then, you know, why are we forcing people that can't to do that? And that's just kind of, um, you know, one of my personal pet peeves. And then, you know, the another word that you said that I think is incredibly important for, um, Just kind of that space in general is prerequisite and I think that that's really important and so for a lot of different things so like one of the things that I've been using as an example is pull-ups so if you can't do the prerequisite and this is all my opinion if you can't do the prerequisite of strict pull-ups then you shouldn't be doing kipping pull-ups because now your shoulder doesn't have the strength to decelerate you as you're coming through on that kip and just, you know, kind of stuff like that. And so, you know, I think that just the OPEX training kind of opens it up to where, like, you don't have to do these, but you can still do this, and it'll still make a difference.
1: Well, I think you can even, you can even take that a step further where the person may have the prerequisite strength of a strict pull-up, but where in their ultimate goal – is a kipping pull up. Like right. if if a kipping pull up doesn't progress them any any closer to what their goals are or it's not part of their overall function, why is it even in the program? Right. And that's where that's where we could start having issues with a group-based or blog-based program design versus like an individual design.
0: Right. So, and you opened your Opex affiliate back in May. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And yeah. So, so o-
1: did, um Opex license.
0: Right. There. Okay. Okay, got you. And then so what was that transition like for you? Um
1: It was a pretty unique one, not one that I would suggest everyone does. So, I went through a model change from group CrossFit to, uh individuals individual functional fitness with OPEC, uh, we did a location change, so we ended up downsizing in space and moving locations. Um, so throwing those two things on top of each other, probably not the most ideal way to do it. Um, but for the most part, uh, the transition was smooth, like anything when you start out with CrossFit, um, you're teaching a certain methodology for such a period of time, there's always going to be questions people are unsure and it really just comes down to an education standpoint and how much time you take educating your people on why we're making the shift like the overall like the overarching priorities of the gym like we're doing this to keep you safe and this is part of our beliefs like we embody it and i think that's a that's a major component into how smooth our personal transition went.
0: Um, And so did you pull, like, did you have, like, kind of a a gym meeting to kind of educate people on what was going on, or did you kind of pull groups of them aside at a time or just do it kind of individually? Like, how did that work out?
1: Uh, So we, like, when we finally committed to do this, we we started with kind of a beta group where – we picked some people that we knew were either a little bit more advanced or so new that they would be perfect candidates for this individual program. So we just kind of reached out to them. We were like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Um, are you interested in being kind of the beta group to test this out and help us work out the kinks and just kind of help us evolve so we get everybody up and running on this? So we did that for a few months. Um, we got a lot of feedback from that. We, that really helped us design a lot of the back end programs and like just the flow of everything. Right. Um, and after that, once we felt like we had a pretty good grasp on everything, we made the official announcement to the gym and we just kind of opened it up for questions where I, I just made myself available and whatever questions people had. I just had them funnel them like directly to me so I could answer it and just kind of put out a unified front, uh, or for everyone.
0: Perfect. And so was that kind of a, was that kind of a scary thing? Just kind of, you know, cause that's like a, uh, that would be a big hesitation for me if I was in that situation, just being like, okay, so this is how I'm making a living right now. Am I going to lose people? You know, especially because, you know, people are so into routine and they're so used to, you know, coming in and, you know, doing the workout with everybody else and then, you know, coming to the same spot every day. And then, you know, then you change locations and then that switches up their routine and that kind of screws a lot of people up. And so then their whole routine's different and they got to start, especially like in San Diego because Flagstaff's really small. And you can drive from one end to the other in 15 minutes. Well, San Diego is a lot different. It's a lot bigger. And so that would be a different, like, um, you know, commute for them. And so, like, how did that work out? Did you lose people or were there people that were upset or?
1: Yeah. Um, a hundred percent. People were upset. People were unsure. Um, like you said, it's a scary thing. What it ultimately comes back to is, educating people behind the why of why we're trying to do this right. and when you can sit down with them face to face no matter how uncomfortable it may be and just like really listen to them and you know why they think you know i mean people are going to tell you it's a bad idea um people are just straight up they were like nope i want to cancel my membership da, 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 da. as a business owner you just you need to be okay with that, and unfortunately right. you you need to knowing that this was the better version of what we were currently doing being okay with a certain level of drop off um, right. i I've talked to some other people that have done it, and I know they had they they had run kind of similar things, but they had done more of like a uh like a town hall form, and people were just absolutely irate they felt like they were taking something away from them we luckily didn't have that sort of situation um our demographics a little bit older um but but, i mean people were very vocal and like i said if you it comes down to treating people like adults and explaining my why why we were doing it and just really being clear to them with hey you know this is this is better for you or you know in some cases just be like hey this may not be the best thing for you and the time has just come to kind of split ties and just go in different directions and like honestly i feel like there's nothing wrong with
0: that right and so there's kind of a there's kind of a parallel with you know a lot of the education that i've gotten in my massage business where you know my since I started to now is a completely different modality and and what people are actually looking for. So now, you know, I had this come up recently where um, somebody went to cash in a gift certificate and I'm like, oh, man, I haven't given out a gift certificate for an hour and a half in two years. So this person's, you know, expecting this, you know, typical kind of, massage and that's not even what I do anymore and Mm -hmm. so like I'm more kind of in the injury rehab space so when they came in I just really explained to them what I do and how I do it and they actually needed what I provided more than you know what they were planning on getting and so that was pretty fortunate for me but I have lost uh, quite a bit of clientele because my truth has changed and but now I have the culture that I'm really looking for, um, which is really fortunate for me. and just kind of makes me love my job even more because now I don't have, you know, any of those people where I'm like, oh, my God, I got to go into work today because then that makes your job not fun. Right. So um, let's talk about, like, your programming for people. So how um, – How many people do you have in your gym right now, and how many people are you specifically programming for, and how many coaches do you have?
1: Uh, Right now, I have three coaches. Um, Two of them are program design, so myself and one other. Uh, We're currently sitting right around 60-ish
0: people. Okay.
1: Um, And that's pretty close to being split straight down the middle. Okay. Okay. So we so, the, the way we basically work is as new leads come in, we just split them, one to me, one to him, one to me, one to him.
0: Okay. And then how much time is allocated to those programs for people?
1: Program? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, it really depends where they're at within their program. So okay. after you sit down with them and you really kind of figure out, why they're doing this, and you get a little bit deeper a little bit deeper understanding of kind of what they need, like through the assessment and whatnot, the original skeleton is really what takes a bulk of the time, so you right. kind of sit down, you take all the assessment, their lifestyle, and what you talked about in the console. you put that all together at least what I do. I put it together um on a document. And from there, I just figure out what we want to work on to, like, help them reach whatever their goal is, and I just start picking progressions, the smartest progressions for where they're at. So once that's developed, it's really not that challenging from a week-to-week basis to progress them, whether that's you know, time under tension or volume or intensity, whatever that may be based on where they're at in the program.
0: Okay. And so do you have like kind of basic templates that you follow and then just kind of plug in different movements kind of where you need them or how does that, how does that Um, work?
1: I don't really. So, I mean, we do everything in FitBot. Okay. Um, So, like I said, I take all the metrics from the assessment, the consult, um, and put that all together in that big document in FitBot. Um, And then I, like, I build it specifically for each person. So nothing's templated. It's all data-driven.
0: Okay. And then, like, do you program, like, a week at a time? Or um, how do you do that? Yeah,
1: so, like I said, you... Basically, when you start with the person, you have this overarching skeleton of what the program would look like, and then weekly, I write the specifics of the program. So, I look at previous weeks, I start to filter through all that data, like what worked, what didn't work, did did this not feel good, do we need to take a step back and adjust the progression, anything like that, Um, and then just adjust that in Fitbot.
0: Okay, perfect. And then um how much of the time do you spend at the gym? Are you there all day?
1: No, so we we kinda have a revolving um coaching schedule. So usually every third ish day, um we're not really required to be at the gym so That's really nice. It allows us to spend a good chunk of time doing program design or just kind of connecting connecting with people in whatever way we need to. Um, So, no, I'm definitely not there all the time. But between consults, um, follow-up consults, and floor coaching, I mean, I'm there a fair amount of time for sure. It really just depends how you decide to structure it. Between floor coaches and program design coaches, and how how long you're honestly open.
0: Okay, and then are you? Is your gym open primarily most of the day, or do you have specific hours, just similar to other uh, CrossFit gyms? Um,
1: well, so I made a big one of the overarching reasons behind doing this was I really wanted to treat people like adults. Yeah, and I know, like everyone's busy. Everyone has a lot going on in their life, so instead of having dedicated class times on the hour I wanted to have training blocks so okay. we're open from you know six to nine in the morning eleven thirty to one in the afternoon and four to seven in the evening and then people can kind of come and go as they choose and come to whatever training block really best suits them so you know if they're if they're feeling kind of tired and they want to take a little bit more time to warm up or what you know whatever it may be they have the option to adjust their schedule as needed.
0: Right. Because the training that I'm kind of doing myself right now, it takes longer than an hour. And so I think, uh like, and then the kind of way that you have it set up, they could do part of their workout in the morning, and then if they're in a hurry, then they can leave and come back later and, you know, just kind of not really get in anybody's way. And so – because that's another thing that um I wanted to ask you about is, you know, do, does anybody get in everybody's way or is there – everybody's just kind of mindful of everybody else and you guys just kind of have your own space and are just kind of figuring it out and then do people work together and is that just kind of how it works out?
1: Well, this is really where, you know, the coach kind of comes into play where they're the ultimate flow master of the training block. So – As people start to funnel in, the coach needs to connect with them, see what everyone's doing. That's why we have, like, individual whiteboards for everybody. So we can look at the program and be like, okay, this person's doing this. This one's doing this. And then if, you know, people have – are using the same piece of equipment, then it's up to kind of the floor coach to just manage that and find a kind of – give people a direction to navigate or like, can you work together? Or do we have to kind of split you apart a little bit? And that's how we just manage that.
0: Okay, cool. So then, you know, you're just, so it's not just like a free-for-all kind of open gym thing. So there's like the the coach that's there is offering advice and, and giving instruction when they need it, but primarily are just kind of directing people where they need to go. So there's no traffic essentially.
1: Yeah. Like the ultimate job of the floor coach is really to just kind of connect, connect with people, see, you know, what they have going on in their day. Um, if they can offer, you know, any advice or clarify something in the program and overall, like he is all about the experience. So what experience are we delivering to our people each session? And that's that coach's job.
0: Right. Cool. And then it's, you know, in San Diego, which is just this amazingly beautiful place, because I went there, as you know, for that course a couple, um, couple months ago now. And just every time I go there, I'm like, God, I want to live here. And then, you know, I start looking at the housing costs and I'm like, well, Flagstaff's like, pretty cool. So, oh yeah, for you know, sure. Not <laughs> but too yeah, but you know, the, yeah, so the weather's amazing. So you can have people outside and you got sleds and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, you know, did you have to buy all the equipment, or did the equipment come from the CrossFit gym, or how did that work?
1: Um, I mean, most, a very large majority of the equipment came from the affiliate. Okay. Um, it was cool, and we were pretty well outfitted in our yeah. in our group component. Um, so we actually ended up selling a bunch of equipment and upgrading a lot of what we had. Nice. So
0: it's it's kind of a
1: double edged sword. Like you you have to get rid of some equipment and you have to go through that whole process, but the at the end of the day we got really, really nice stuff.
0: Right. Right. So um and did you start that that previous affiliate with that owner or did you just kind of uh merge into that?
1: Uh which which owner w so,
0: what was it? The uh the knuckle up athletics?
1: Knuckle down athletics, yeah. Or
0: knuckle down, yeah. Sorry.
1: Uh, no, so it's it's just been me. I've been the the sole owner um, with oh, both okay. knuckle down athletics um, and OPEC San Diego.
0: Okay, perfect. So when you started um, knuckle down athletics, did you buy all that equipment outright, or did you lease it?
1: No, I bought it outright.
0: Okay, perfect. Because that's a. Uh... And then so one of the options is leasing it, right? So that just mm-hmm. takes a couple of years to kind of pay off. And that's totally. what um, a lot of people are really worried about, you know, opening their own gym. And so, um, man, you started two gyms. And and how long did you own uh, Knuckle Down?
1: Uh, we were going into year five with Knuckle Down.
0: Okay. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, really, like – Equipment-wise, honestly, at the end of the day, if I had to go back and redo it, I think more is less. And realizing that it doesn't have to be super fancy to be effective. Right. And you can get away without having a lot of equipment by just being really creative in your program design.
0: Right. Right. And Yeah, that's. So this is all just kind of flooding my mind with, like, a whole lot of really incredibly useful information. So I'm just kind of processing it all right now. Sure. Um, you know, so what would what advice would you give to people that are starting their own gym?
1: Own gym or OPEC?
0: So just starting their own gym. So kind of whatever it is. So, um, um, well, you know, because, like, my bias is more towards individual program design just because that's what I've been – studying and kind of focusing on, um, for myself and, uh, some of my clients. Cause when, you know, there's some people that come in for some body work and then we figure out, you know, some of their deficiencies and their movement patterns. And then ultimately I start doing programming for them to get rid of that instead of just having them come week after week after week for, um, some body work sessions. And so, um, you know, like that's so I would lean more towards OPEX, but then you have experience kind of in both. So if there's anybody that's listening to the podcast that just is like, I want to start a gym, you know, what advice would you be giving them for that?
1: Uh I think honestly the best advice I could give you is not like business related or anything like that. It's having a deep rooted understanding that you are in a service based industry and people are not doing people are not here to serve you like it, it's the right. the exact opposite of that and just fully committing to giving people the absolute best experience that you can possibly give and that right. comes from like how you hold the space when you're coaching class like bringing a lot of energy, and just really, really showing people that you care. Yeah. And at the end of the day, no one, you know, or a very small percentage of people are going to care about the equipment you have. But if you show a level of genuineness and compassion to people, there will be lifelong clients. I like it. Uh
0: So what are you studying right now? Because that's one of the – um think that James Fitzgerald is really about is that they're, all their coaches are always learning. Mm-hmm. So is there is there something that you're studying right now or any particular subject? or?
1: I mean, right now, um, I have pretty unique access um, with James and the rest of the crew over there. So at this point, I'm really just engrossed in what James is putting out there and how they're trying to educate and keep evolving the licenses. So I'm pretty engrossed in that. Yeah. Um I've been working with uh Ben Ramos of Flow Force Rehab. We kind of, yeah. we share a space. So we've been working with him a little bit, um, doing a lot on the assessment side of things, getting a little bit deeper into that world. And that's really, right. I'm trying to do more hands-on things with people around me versus going out and going through courses and things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, those are really good resources. I mean, you know, like, Michael Band is just a wealth of knowledge, and, and I've known him for a long time. We actually trained together at CrossFit Flagstaff back in 2010. Um And, you know, Ben Ramos, I met him at DNS Exercise 3, and, you know, had him on the podcast, and we became friends since then. Um And both those guys are just, you know, and then action-packed, full of knowledge. And then of course, James Fitzgerald's probably forgot more than anybody could ever learn. Okay. So, you know, so that's really awesome. Any books or anything that you're reading right now, or are you just focused on learning from them? Um, What am I reading?
1: Right now, uh, it has nothing to do gym-wise or fitness-related. I'm reading The War of Art by mm-hmm. Steven Pressfield. Okay. Um, what else do I have going on? Um. Um, Brain Maker. That's actually a Michael Band suggestion. Yeah. Um, all about gut health. He's got me on this big kick. I went through a big reboot with him. Um, yeah. have worked with him for, for a while now. Um, so I'm pretty deep into the world of gut health and helping people evolve that.
0: Right on. Yeah, that's a, he got me really into that for a while too. And then the, uh, the, the gut brain connection is another good one and then the good gut is one that he recommended to me. And now I'm starting to uh really get into like a lot of epigenetics and how, you know, your your attitude and your the space that you hold for your body greatly influences the cells within your body. And so through that I've gotten um I uh listened to a podcast with uh Dr. Ben Lynch who owns uh, who does Stratagene, I think it's called, and he has a book out called Dirty Genes. And so that goes into the um, your food choices also. So, like, there's certain food choices that can turn on or turn off specific genes too. So you can even go, you know, deeper into that by going into, like, the epigenetic stuff. And, you know, just basically, like, what I learned from that is just eat good food and then your genes will be turned on all the time and you'll be healthier. But if you keep eating like gluten and all that garbage that's so readily available, then those genes start to turn off and then that's how you start to get sick. And so that, yeah, really it's, it's pretty funny stuff. that we
1: that we think that eating quality food is such a such a novel concept.
0: Well, I think that the problem is is that it's eating healthy food is more difficult And you actually have to work harder at it because all the garbage is so readily available. There's no like, you know, I always say, well, I wish that there was a healthy drive-through place. But I mean, the reality is, is you just have to take a hard audit of how much time you're actually putting in to your day. So like, how much time are you spending on Instagram versus cooking? You know, how many, how much time are you spending watching, binge watching Netflix as opposed to, you know, uh food prep when the reality is you could be doing both of those at the same time and so it's, you know I think the, the the interesting thing about eating healthy is that it's hard work and you know, there's a lot, it's really easy to not work that hard, you know, because I get, I fall into that trap too, especially you know, driving back and forth from the office to the house and, and you know, coaching and working on clients and taking care of the wife and you know and vice versa and then you're just like well let's just go get pizza or whatever and it's just the easier way to go instead of being like no we're gonna just sit here and we're gonna grill some stuff and while i'm grilling some stuff you're gonna saute some stuff and then we'll have a healthy dinner you know what i mean so it's just and especially because she's a, a cv icu nurse so she gets done with 13 hours of work and i've been you know in and out of the house all day and working and coaching and Taking care of the dogs, and then she's like, We're getting Thai food. And I'm like, That's a perfect idea. And then, <laughs> you know, so then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. For sure. For sure. But, yeah, I agree with you. So, um, yeah, how can people get a hold of you? Where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can connect with us on our website, uh, www.opexsd.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Feel free, reach out. I'm happy to answer any questions, or if you guys want to kind of chat more about our evolution, I'm more than happy to.
0: Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate you. Come in. Have a great one. All, all right. You. Yeah. We'll talk soon. Bye.